O most gracious and all-wise God, the songs of praise have been sung, prayers have been prayed, it is now for time for preaching. And so, Father, I would pray that you would allow me to step back, take my ego out of play, and let this be about you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just reign and rule in this moment, that as the word of God goes out to God's people, that they will have receiving hearts and listening ears this morning to know um, that it is from the Lord. And Father, I pray for anyone who is under the sound of my voice that does not know you in the part of their sin. I pray this morning uh, that you might squeeze their heart today to let them know uh, the necessity for surrendering their life unto you. And Father, I pray that the words of my mouth will find pleasing and acceptable in this in thy sight. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. We're reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds, underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If this good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the mind of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They do not understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your, serv- are, are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let there be light in darkness. And he made this light shine in our hearts so that the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this light in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power comes from God and not ourselves. We are pressed on every side. Not trouble, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We are knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through the suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. We are pressed on every side by trouble, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. I'm going to talk, teach, and preach from the text, demands of the ministry. Demands of the ministry. Those of you who have accepted the call of God, who has responded to God and made yourself available to him to preach, to teach, to share his word with the lost. There are demands of those who serve in in those sacred positions. And in our text today, Paul makes it clear for individuals who have made themselves available 
to be used by God, there are demands. The treasure of the gospel, the light and the grace God has put into earthen vessels, the minister of the gospel. We are subject to the same passions and weakness as other men. God could have sent angels to make his gospel known around the world. He could have sent the most admired sons of men to teach nations. But he chose a much humbler and weaker vessel so that his power might qualify us and uphold us who share his word. And that somehow that the blessings uh, that are brought by the preaching of his word might be magnified. The diligent minister will face trial after trial. He will experience fatigue, weariness, strain, pressure, trouble, doubt, criticism, opposition, conflict, and persecution. The list could go on and on. The minister of God needs a strong spirit of endurance. We need God's special power to sustain us. It is the power of God that sustains the minister. The minister and all believers of God will face trouble and difficult situations in life. The modern-day preacher in our media-oriented society is often pressured to use the pulpit as a stage to display his elegance, his dramatical skill, and fine oratory. Congregations add to that pressure uh, for the desire to be amused and entertained, and as a result, the preacher is often viewed by outsiders as just another stage performer. And what is considered to be a successful minister uh, by outsiders is no more than a good actor. But in this chapter, Paul states some consequences are results of being called to this ministry. And it is designed to magnify the office of the minister to show the sustaining power of truth in the words we preach. Uh, to Paul's credit, Paul says uh, that he and his co-workers never preached about themselves, but they only preached Jesus as Lord and themselves as servants to others for Jesus' sake. But despite all of that, Despite that, that Paul, uh, after his conversion, was one of the greatest evangelists to ever live and to take the gospel into Gentile communities, Paul was a great church planner as he made his missionary journeys around the globe and planted churches. Uh, Paul is one of the greatest contributors uh, to the Bible who have ever lived, uh, but yet Paul, in his ministry, uh, was often accused of some stuff. Paul was accused of sometimes being faint-hearted. Paul was accused sometimes of doing some shameful, disgraceful, and scandalous acts. Paul was accused of walking and deceiving a people. Paul uh, was accused of mishandling God's word. But as far as the biblical record reflects, Paul never mishandled the word of God, although Paul was not perfect. Paul had some flaws, like we all do. And so one of the first demands of the ministry that Paul has in the text is that we never give up. Paul says, if you've answered the call, 
and you're committed to the cause and the purpose of God. We are not to quit. We are not to give up. The, the King James said, faint not. Faint not simply means not to lose, not to become discouraged, spiritless, faint-hearted, or despondent. If you're going to answer the call and be in the ministry, you've got to have thick skin, but also a pure heart. Paul has included in the text for us two reasons why he never gave up, even in the face of persecution, a weariness, and exhaustion. Paul says that we have been given this great ministry. It means that in references, the fact that we have been given this great task by God has given us to the task of proclaiming his new covenant. That man now has an, an opportunity to have a relationship with God through his son. The ministry is about the good news of Jesus. That men can now be saved and forgiven of their sins and redeemed and live forever in the presence of God. No, no greater task could be given to a person than to proclaim the gospel and watch this, the cure for dead men. Paul says, I never gave up, I never quit because I have experienced the mercies of God in my life. That his task was so great and God's mercy had done so much for him to sustain him in the midst of all of his trouble. You know Paul was beaten, right? Paul uh, was, was literally let down in a basket because folk were trying to kill him. Paul was taken to court for preaching the gospel. He was, he was sentenced, and, and Paul was in chains, but yet Paul never quit. Paul was involved in a shipwreck, in a storm, and all of the ship had been full of despair, and Paul stood up in the midst of the despair and said, if you stay on the boat with me, God told me you're going to be all right. Paul, in the last part and last half of his life, spent in chains and in dungeons, and he still was sharing the gospel. Guess what? Paul never gave up, even though he was accused of some stuff. See, the Bible says, I'm in the Bible, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. But God is so rich in his mercy. He loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that we have been saved. He has raised us up from among the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Watch this, y'all. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of his incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. His mercy. The, the second demand that Paul says this ministry requires, it requires those who stand in this sacred place and declare his word, it de demands honesty. In verse 2, it says, we reject all shameful deeds, underhanded methods, and we do not try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God. And he says, if anybody really want to be honest before God, they know it. The minister is to renounce any hidden or dishonesty, which means disgrace, 
scandal, immorality, greed, fault, and ambition. The minister is to live an open and above-board life. The minister is not to walk in craftiness, not to be slick using trickery and cunnery, cunning, and use cleverness and evil design. It means that we are not supposed to do whatever we, we want to do to achieve in whatever means we want to get. The minister of God is to be like, walk like, and be like Jesus. We're not to handle the word of God deceitfully, falsely, adulterated, corrupt, deceived, or ensnared. The word of God is God. God is the authority of his word, and the minister of God is nothing more than a spokesperson for God. We are not to add philosophies, neither take away any portions of Scripture, deny any parts of God's Word. Even we are not to neglect it, ignore it, or keep silent, even if it becomes difficult for us to deal with ourselves. And if you've ever studied and labored over God's Word, He's going to talk to you sometime, and some of the stuff He reveals to you is going to be hard to deal with. Sometime when I'm in prayer and in study before God, the word gets so heavy and so thick, I got to walk away from it. But I know I got to come back to it because I'm going to have to deal with it. The other reason Paul says about the minister and demands the truth, the minister is to be true to the truth of God, revealed in God's word. We are to humble ourselves and be receptive before God in study and in our prayer life. But watch this. When you stand for truth, people will attack you. If you preach the good news, and, 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 and the Bible says in verse 3, that when you preach the good news, and, and, and folk don't receive the good news because their heart had been veiled, uh, here's what I'm talking about, church. Sometime, and, and I've heard the conversations when, when folk leave church and, you know, pastor didn't hit the mark today. He missed it. He wasn't quite in his rules. Uh, if he was declaring the truth of God's word and you could not receive it, it means your heart has been veiled by God. And Paul says in the scripture, it is hidden only to people who are perishing. It is, it is hidden from people who are on their way to hell. Listen, here it is in verse 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the mind of those who do not believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message in which we preach about the glory of Christ, who is the exact image and likeness of God. Why is Satan called the God of this world? It means that he is the ruler over the kingdoms of this world. And the evidence can be seen every night in our daily news reports, our behaviors of men uh, and nations and governments. When Satan tempted Jesus, he claimed to possess all of the kingdoms in the world and had the authority to give them to whomever he wished. I'm in the Bible, chapter 4 of Matthew. The next, next, the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And here's what Satan said to Jesus, and he's whispering it to us. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down before me and worship. 
if the God, if the if the gospel is hidden from men, of Paul says it's two reasons that they are perishing and they are on their way of being lost. They have turned away from God and are traveling in the opposite direction. That they have been blinded from the truth by the God of this world. Satan's purpose is to keep believers and non-believers to believing in the gospel. Satan's job and responsibility is to keep worshipers from worshiping God. The point is this. Satan appeals to our flesh, our sensual appetites, and, and he, he wants us to give ourselves over to the pleasures of sin. The scripture teaches that Satan is real. Jesus called him several things. The prince of this world, the evil one, a liar, a murderer. Paul called him the adversary of men and the devourer. John called him the devil and Satan. This ministry has demands. It demands servitude. I'm in verse 5. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are but your servants for Jesus' sake. The demands is that we serve Christ and mankind and not ourselves. We are not to preach and to lift ourselves up in the eyes of people to impress them with our charisma, our ability, our speaking, our leadership. We are to preach Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That's a good place to give God some praise. The word servant, bond slave. The minister is to be a slave to others and serving and ministering them. He is to be devoted to people as a slave is to his master. Jesus became our slave, our servant. He sacrificed himself for us. Jesus uh, gave himself to us for the purpose that we might live for his glory. He sacrificed himself. He denied himself every day to overcome the world and the flesh. He conquered sin for our sake to gain our freedom. This ministry demands conversion and change. If you're going to serve him, you must be changed. I'm in the Bible, verse 6. For God said, let there be light in darkness. He made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory that God, that, that is the glory of God that is seen uh, in Jesus' face. God actually, when we accept him, puts his spirit in us after we've been converted. We have been changed. A conversion, I'm in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person and all things are gone and a new life has begun. Conversion, the conversion story for the believer is said to be the most powerful and dramatic experience that we can have in our life. It is literally light coming in and overwhelming the darkness in your life and creating something completely and entirely new. He is created into a new man or a new woman and become a child of the king. Conversion. The only thing that matches conversion and a change, only the only thing in the scriptures that are that happens that is dramatic enough to illustrate conversion is the creation of the world. I'm in Genesis chapter one, verses two and three. Look, the, the earth was without four void, 
formless and empty, and darkness covered the water, the deep of the waters, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the water, and God said, let there be light, and guess what? There was light. And the light simply is spoken in the Old Testament scriptures among Jews. It's called the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory of God. Shekinah simply means that which dwells. The Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament times was the very presence of God that would sometimes be shown among men. God's glory would sometimes literally come in the presence of men and they would feel God and sense his presence and be in the midst of God's glory. Glory is associated with Christ in the New Testament over and over again. The glory of Jesus is literally the very presence of God in Christ and they dwell and he dwelled there permanently. God dwelled in him and him in God and when we accept Jesus as our savior, his spirit comes and lives within us and that's the glory of God that he has seeded into our spirit. And if we have been converted, if we have been changed, that needs to be a manifestation that the light of God shones out of us. Oh, I wish I had a witness. Here it is. Oh, okay, I'm back in the Bible. Y'all looking at me quite crazy. Here it is. Verse 7. Here it is. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are, are like fragile clay jars container with this great treasure. This makes it clear. Oh, I wish I had some help in here. Our great power comes from God and not ourselves. God has won great resources and it is his presence and his power within the life of a believer. The Bible calls it a treasure the treasure of having the presence of God in our earthly bodies, our fleshly bodies. This vessel made of pottery or clay, our vessels are weak and worthless, corrupt and dying, and yet God chose to place that treasure in us. Why would God use a vessel of clay. Think about that. Why would God use a weak, frail, troublemaker like me? And if you think about it, church, hallelujah, it's because clay can be shaped into whatever shape the potter wants to make it in. He gives it new purpose. He gives it a new life according to his will. God enters into our body, shows his power. We gain victory over weakness and even death. Oh, how excellent is his name. This treasure of God is present in every earthly vessel who has received Christ. And we are weak, we are frail, we are flawed. 
But God has done so much for us. And it was all done by Jesus. So it is God and God alone who gets the credit for keeping us. Watch this church. He is to be reverenced and he is to be praised. Listen, y'all, what he says about folk. We're talking about the demands of the ministry. What he says about folk who serve in ministry. He says we will be, we are pressed on every side by trouble, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We are not down, but we are not destroyed. It is the power of God that sustains all of us, even it's his minister. We are and have trouble on every side. But God saves us from our distress. Trouble means to be squeezed and depressed and hemmed in. Distress means to be kept in a narrow and a cramped place. Ministers sometimes, when they want to exercise the authority and the will of God, and they receive criticism, they feel hemmed in. All they want to do is God's will, and folk want to complain and gripe, and they feel the pressures on every side, in every imaginable way, in every place and occasion. We are oftentimes under attack, but the Bible says we're perplexed, which means to be lost, to doubt, not knowing and questioning, wondering which way to go and what to say and unable to find the answer. But God's power saves us from our despair. Anybody ever felt like that? Not understanding why this and why that. What should be done? What should I say? How is the situation to be handled? Here's the danger, y'all. That we're, when we're in that position, we become vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Our confidence gets shaken. And our assurance, we're not sure about ourselves in Christ. But when that happens, God's presence steps in in the nick of time. Won't he do it? Do I have a witness in the house this morning? I said, won't he do it? Won't God do it? Won't he step in just in the nick of time? When you're feeling cast down, you're never destroyed. When you strike out and you may be knocked down, but you're never knocked out. It is through the suffering of our body that we can show and share in the death of Christ. Paul died. Paul simply died to himself. Paul died by carrying the, the cross of Jesus. Paul died by taking up the cross of Christ. Paul died to self, to, to his own will and desire and wishes. Paul died to self in order to live for Christ. When Jesus came to earth, to secure our perfect righteousness. In order to do that, he had to die. Jesus had to die to self. He lived a sinless life. He had to struggle against sin, to deny his own desire, and to live for God. Jesus was always dying. That is, he was always dying in order to fulfill the will of God. He always struggled to conquer the pressures of temptation. Jesus died, always wrestling against the forces of evil. But guess what? He never gave in to them. If we're to serve 
God and be about his will and his purpose, we must die. There are times when all you are trying to do is the will of God in your life. And you begin to face opposition. And so you start doubting whether you're qualified to move forward in this ministry. You said, Lord, is this really what it's all about? I'm committed to you and I just always seem to be criticized. Maybe I'm not where you want me to be. Maybe I'm not doing what you call me to do. Listen, when you're feeling unqualified, listen, church, there's some things you need to remember. You're anointed. You have been hand-picked by God. And guess what, you're not a nobody. What you're going through, what you've been through, is merely an indication of what you've been called to. Watch this. The anointing that is on your life is greater than the flesh that tries to attack you. But through those attacks, we find insecurity, fear, doubt. We lack confidence. But when you're feeling unqualified, help you out. When you're feeling that you're not sure if your ministry will take off, here's something you need to do. You need to pray more than other folk. When you're feeling unqualified, you need to read and study the Bible more than other folk. When you're feeling unqualified, you need to worship more than other folk. That's how you get your breakthrough. And so I'm going to ask this morning, if you would entreat me, if you will, if you've been called to this ministry, if you're waiting for God to answer you so that your ministry can come to birth, if you're a teacher of the gospel, And, and God is tugging at your heart, I want you to come to this altar. Come on to the altar. You preach, you teach, you lead. I want you to come to the altar so that we can pray that you will continue in God's mercy. That God can continue to move in your life. God wants to use you he will protect you and keep you. He wants you to experience his mercy. We serve a great God who cares for us. But what God calls and demands, we heard it today, there are some demands in the ministry. And what upholds us is God. And we are to experience his mercy.
Won't you come? God has something for you to do. He wants to use you. He wants you to know that he will bring forth what he has birthed in you because he has handpicked you. You are anointed by God to do his will, to bring his word to lost men, women, boys, and girls. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all of these servants of God who have come before you this morning with bowed heads and humble hearts. We're asking God that you extend your mercy to these individuals who have come to be used by you to be an example of what it is to be a child of God. Father, we pray your blessings on them right now in the name of Jesus. And Satan, we serve you notice. We bind you in the name of Jesus off of these servants of God that greater is he in them than, than you. That what we have, what they have been called to is greater. They have, that all good things come from you and you alone and those who have been called according to your purpose. Your will be done in their lives that we might be better servants to the Most High God. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We celebrate you. We give you all praise, all glory, and all honor. And Father, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We call it done by faith. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. And all the believers of God said amen. And thank God. Amen. And thank God. We serve a mighty, 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 mighty good God who wants to keep us, protect us as we go about doing his will in his way. It's not always easy. Sometimes there's roadblocks in the way. Sometimes there's stumbling blocks in the way. Sometimes there's trouble in the way. He wants to use us. Let's, uh, let's pray for Pastor Jeff right now. Why don't we put hands upon him and just lift him up as well? There are, there are men in here and women in here that have a burden for our pastors to lift them up, to be, to be their rear guard for them. Come, our pastors need your prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, and we just want to say thank you for your power and your grace and your mercy in our lives. Lord, we just pray right now for Pastor Jeff, and we pray and we've heard what you have to say through his uh, through his his mouth, that, Lord, it is you. And we've been praying for him today. We've been praying for Pastor Eddie. Lord, the pastors in our, in our, our congregation, in our community. Lord, we just lift him up right now, Pastor Jeff, and we ask that you would just uh, surround him and, and keep him anointed. And Lord, we just pray that you will uh, use your angels to protect. And, and Satan, you have no authority whatsoever in this house or in his life. And in the name of Jesus, we bind you. You are no, no longer available for him. And so, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in his life. Thank you for what you're doing in, in through him and through his family. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this church through Pastor Eddie. 
thank you for what you're doing in the lives of, of all of the ministers in this house. Lord, in this community, we are bound by you, common unity within the churches and within the tribes of this place. Lord, I pray that you continue to shine your light through Sullivan, and uh, may we just be a, a light for you. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing and what you've done and yet to do. For, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.